Welcome to Nerd Heaven. I'm Adam David Collings, the author of Jewel of the Stars, and I am a nerd. This is episode 46 of the podcast. Today, we're talking about Star Trek Discovery, Terra Firma, part one. But before we get into all of that, did you hear about all the new Star Wars shows that Disney Plus just announced? They announced seven new TV shows. Combined with The Mandalorian and the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, that's a total of nine shows. We currently have six Star Trek shows, either already on the air or in various stages of pre-production. That's a whole lot of sci-fi entertainment. Now, if only we could get an official green light on that new Stargate show that they have in the works. That'd be awesome. But as I said, today we're talking about Star Trek. The description on Memory Alpha reads, The USS Discovery crew journeys to a mysterious planet in hopes of finding a cure for Giorgio's deteriorating condition. Stamets and Adira make a stunning breakthrough with the newly acquired burn data. The teleplay for this episode was written by Alan McElroy, based on a story by Bo Yon Kim, Erica Lepold, and Alan McElroy. It was directed by Omar Madda, and it first aired on the 10th of December 2020. Make it so. This episode has a big Giorgio focus. We open with Kolber seeking advice from that Starfleet interrogator, the one that was questioning Giorgio a few episodes back. Apparently the character's name is Kovic, although I don't think that's ever been said out loud in universe. A lot of people have been referring to him by the name of the actor playing him, a guy named David Cronenberg. He sounds like a big deal. I'm not familiar with him myself. I actually thought he reminded me a little bit of the British actor Bill Nighy. Some people have even theorised that he's section 31, which is a reasonable theory, but certainly not yet canonised. Why does Kolber go to Kovic? I'm not sure. But it turns out he has all the answers we've been looking for. It turns out to be a case of temporal displacement. Our molecules like to remain in the time that they were created. But the whole crew has travelled 900 years into the future, and they're all fine. But Giorgio not only travelled in time, she's also from another universe. A universe which has been growing further and further apart from ours. Every molecule in her body is screaming to return home. So the hologram theory is out. And then Kovic activates a holographic image of Lieutenant Commander Yor, a deceased time soldier from the Temporal War. And he's wearing a Next Generation Season 1 uniform with the shoulder stripes. It was delightful to see this nostalgic old uniform on Discovery. Do you notice that Discovery is paying a whole lot more respect to TNG than it ever did to TOS? But I was all set to have a good old nitpick about this. You see, I'd seen images from an episode preview that they show in America, which clearly showed Tor in this uniform, but with a Voyager-style combadge. That combadge didn't come into effect until 2371, which would have been the 8th season of TNG. It was never worn with this particular uniform. Now Kovic says something that could explain it shortly, which we'll get to in a sec. But I noticed in my second watch of this episode that they've edited it. They've put the proper TNG combadge in that matches this uniform. 
That must have been a digital effect. It's a silly mistake that should never have been made, but I'm glad they sorted it out. But Kovic explains that Tor is from the year 2379. Okay, so that means the Voyager Combadge was correct, but the uniform was dead wrong. 2379 is the year that Star Trek Nemesis was set. But then he says something that changes everything. Tor came from an alternate universe, created by a temporal incursion caused by a Romulan mining ship. Whoa. So Tor is from the Kelvin universe. This is huge. This is the first outright acknowledgement of the Kelvin universe from the Prime universe. This is also our first canon look at someone from the TNG era of the Kelvin universe. So apparently over there, they didn't change uniforms near as often as they did here in the Prime. They skipped the TNG Season 3 uniform, the Voyager and Deep Space Nine uniform, and the First Contact uniform. This is really interesting. So this also means that the Kelvin universe was involved in the Temporal Wars. Which kind of makes sense. And that war was all about temporal incursions and creating new timelines. Although Enterprise used a different concept of time travel uh, than what Star Trek 2009 did. But let's just leave that aside. So yeah, wonderful to see that uniform and fascinating to get a connection with the Kelvin timeline. Sadly, things didn't turn out well for poor old Tor. He ended up in so much pain, the Federation petitioned for euthanasia. They couldn't just send him back to his own universe, because to do so would violate the Temporal Accords, which were taken very seriously. That doesn't bode well for Giorgio, because it means Starfleet won't allow her to return home either. Kovic doesn't want Giorgio to know her fate. A dying Terran's instinct is to find a way to die in battle, much like a Klingon. Nobody wants that loose on Discovery. He recommends sedation and locking her up. But Kolber, the good doctor as ever, asks the computer to find another solution, combining all additional data that Discovery has, which obviously includes the sphere data. And much to Kovic's surprise, it's found another option. Meanwhile, Giorgio can't even pick up a glass because her hand goes straight through it. I kind of like how Giorgio refers to Tilly as Saru's walking command blunder, echoing what a lot of people have said that her promotion makes no sense. Tilly is awesome, but she's not ready for first officer yet. The sphere data says the solution is on Danis 5, a world near the border between the Alpha and Gamma quadrants. It's still only 5% chance for her, but it's better than zero. I like the way Discovery has been using the sphere data this season. Remember back in Voyager when an alien entity put gigaquads of information about the universe into the ship's computer and it was never mentioned again? That was an absolute travesty. Discovery is still probably underselling the usefulness of this data, but is doing a significantly better job than Voyager did. Saru is inclined to not ignore Giorgio's plight. The Emerald Chain are conducting exercises near Federation space, and Starfleet are on yellow alert. But Vance is willing to authorize the mission. But Vance is willing. But Vance is willing to authorize the mission on one condition: that Michael assures him that she can let go of Giorgio when the time comes, because the odds are not good. She hesitated when she had to sacrifice Arium. 
Vance wants to know that she won't hesitate again. And she gives him her word. This has got to be one of the hardest parts of being a Starfleet officer, the willingness to sacrifice a life to save a crew. I don't think I could handle being in a situation like that. I don't think I have what it takes to make a tough call like that, especially when it's someone you care about. We see a very good conversation play out between Vance and Saru. Saru is trying really hard to be the good, reliable captain. He doesn't want to let Vance down. He wants to prove that he can be trusted to serve the needs of this new Starfleet. That's why he was willing to sacrifice Giorgio and forego the mission altogether. Vance explains a little of his backstory. He made a lot of mistakes over the course of his career. One thing he's learned is that if a crew member is drowning and you let her, the crew will never look at the captain or the Federation the same way again. The hard, pragmatic choice is not always the right one. You have to have heart and compassion. You have to treat your crew as people. Any captain needs a little bit of Kirk in him. I love this scene. I'm loving Saru's character arc through this season as he learns to be a better captain. And I'm really liking Vance as a character more and more. Giorgio's vulnerability is really poking through the cracks of her bravado. We're seeing past the tough emperor to the scared little girl inside. She doesn't see much hope for success in this plan. She wants an honourable death. She wants Michael to kill her. But Michael's having none of it. This episode is really showing us what Michelle Yeoh can do as an actor. We're also getting a little backstory about Mira Burnham. Apparently, Giorgio picked her up from a rubbish heap. We get a pretty heartwarming farewell to Giorgio from both Saru and Tilly. Giorgio has come a long way that she can look Saru in the eye and call him Captain. When they first met, she saw him as nothing but dinner. But now, I think she actually respects him. So they beam down to the planet. It's a bit of an icy place, and I love the visible rings in the sky. I doubt it's scientifically accurate, but it looks awesome. As much as I like their trek through the snow, why didn't they beam directly to the coordinates? Why beam down merely close and then walk following the tricorder's directions? Now we cut back to the overall season plot with the burn. Honestly, I was expecting this two-parter to be all about the burn, learning what was in the centre of that nebula. I wasn't expecting a character study of Giorgio or a re-examination of the mirror universe. Although, given the episode title, I probably should have expected Terra to be connected with the Mirror Universe. Anyway, Adira is still trying to use the algorithm to decipher the Starfleet distress call. Stamets notices that Adira is exhausted and has made a silly mistake, which has cost them hours of wasted effort. Adira is really frustrated by this. It's the same old story. Starfleet officer becomes obsessed with a task and refuses to sleep. But in this case we see realistic consequences, and I really like that. As a computer programmer, I often make stupid mistakes like this, which takes hours to hunt down. And that's when I'm not sleep deprived. It happens. Grey is still not speaking to Adira, but Adira is apparently not angry, although facial expressions may suggest otherwise. Stamets points out that Grey wanted Adira to make more ties with the outside world. Friends. Maybe that's why he's hiding. Adira makes a good point. He doesn't get to decide what's good for me. It feels a bit manipulative, especially for the disembodied spirit of a dead person. 
and then the algorithm is finished. While on his way to find out what Stamets and Adira have uncovered, Saru has a chat with Book. Book wants in. He wants to help the crew of Discovery. But he wants to do it in his own terms. Saru isn't interested in that. I'm not sure exactly what Saru is expecting. Putting on a Starfleet uniform and joining the crew perhaps? Which may require training at whatever the equivalent of Starfleet Academy is these days. I think it's going to take a while for Book to really find his place and it may take a little bending on both sides. It turns out the ship stuck in the nebula is Kelpian. So a few years before the burn, the ship got stranded in the nebula. Another ship was coming to rescue them. The end of the message is sadly lost. A lot of people were theorising that it was actually Discovery in the nebula, trying to tie it into the short trek Calypso. That made a lot of sense, but I'm kind of glad that that's not where the show is taking us. That would have just been another case of, the Red Angel is actually Michael. I used to enjoy that trope, but it's getting a bit old to be honest. This Kelpian thing is interesting because it's an unexpected development. I'm keen to learn more about what happened and what they might have to do with the burn. Giorgio keeps comparing Michael to her mirror counterpart. The reason she picked Berman up from that rubbish pile was that she was the only one not begging for her life. She was prepared to be her own salvation, and Giorgio respected that. It's interesting, Giorgio clearly had a desire to experience motherhood, so there was always some form of humanity in her. She probably wasn't able to have children biologically, but her choice to pick someone from a rubbish heap is interesting. She wasn't there to do charity work. If she'd really cared about helping kids out of poverty, she'd have rescued them all. She certainly had that within her power as emperor. But she ignored all the pleas and just took Michael. But why not adopt some other way? I don't think we have enough insight into her character to really understand this yet. And this is where things get interesting. They find a wooden door just sitting in the snow and a man dressed in 1940s style clothes smoking a cigar and sitting on a park bench, reading a newspaper which claims Emperor Giorgio dies in horribly painful death. The newspaper is called the Star Dispatch. Who is this bloke? He offers Giorgio a doorway into her own past, back into the mirror universe. I can only assume he is a Q. This is totally their style. The episode keeps the truth of this character pretty close to its chest. We will probably learn the truth next episode. I'll probably be disappointed if it's anything other than the Q, because I can't see anything else making sense. Anyway, the guy calls himself Carl. He tells a few really punny dad jokes and then makes it clear the door is for Giorgio to walk through. He makes an interesting statement. The door doesn't lead, it follows. Does that mean that Giorgio plays a big part in determining what she'll experience? Her past in the Mirror Universe and her relationship with Mirror Burnham are clearly on her mind, so it makes sense that she'd lead the experience where it goes. I tried to pause the episode and read some of the other headlines on the newspaper, but it was too blurry. Michael wants answers, but Carl says the question needs to precede the answer. It's dangerous to go the other way around. Now apart from giving me some Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy vibes, this suggests to me that Giorgio is not yet sure what exactly she's seeking, or what question she needs to answer. She's about to go on a journey of self-discovery. 
Michael, rather illogically, wants to return to Discovery. This is what they came down for. This is what the sphere data led them to. So she steps through and finds herself in the Mirror Universe, on board the ISS Discovery, being welcomed by Captain Killy. This is actually the first time we've seen Mary Wiseman play Killy. We've seen Prime Tilly try to impersonate Killy, but that's all. It takes Giorgio a moment to adapt her settings, but she quickly realises she's in the past. This is the day they christened the Charon, the day Lorca and Michael betrayed her. Now, I've been complaining a little bit over seasons 2 and 3. Giorgio just doesn't seem evil enough. She's the Mirror Universe Emperor. She's ruthless and cares nothing over taking lives. She eats Kelpians. But I'm seeing through this episode that they're taking her character in a new way. They're showing that her time in the Prime Universe has changed her more than she had realised. And that's cool. So they've actually kind of won me over. I mean, they could have done a better job of portraying her as a little more evil throughout Season 2. But I'll buy that time in the Prime Universe has slowly made her a better person. I just felt like it happened too rapidly and too suddenly. But this episode is really highlighting how she's changed. She misses her own Michael, regrets killing her, and she tells Tilly she wants to bring Michael back into the fold. But as we'll soon learn, in Michael's eyes, Giorgio was already becoming weak, not as ruthless as a Terran Emperor should be. Even before she met anyone from our universe, she was already softening. Initially, we saw her from the perspective of the Prime characters, so she looked like a monster. But now we're seeing her through Mira Michael's eyes, and she's an old softy. It's fascinating, and it's pretty well done. This episode is also the first time we see Mira Burnham. Sonequa Martin-Green plays her wonderfully ruthless. And it's also an excuse to bring back Landry from Season 1, played by Battlestar Galactica's Rekha Sharma. Mira Burnham really hates Kelpians. When she calls for Saru to be killed and cooked for dessert, Giorgio intervenes. This is the moment that we realise just how much Giorgio has changed. She can't just sit by and watch while Saru, a man she has come to respect, is treated like meat. Even if it is Mirror Saru. The Terrans have basically taken on the role of the Baal in the Mirror Universe. They kill Kelpians before they can finish going through the Harai. That makes them easier to enslave, obviously. And Saru ends up being a useful source of intelligence for Giorgio. But Giorgio has a problem. We've learned the reason Michael and Lorca tried to overthrow her was because of her weakness. But now, given the way she's changed, she's more weak, not less. At least the way the Mirror Universe defines weakness. Giorgio keeps trying to drop hints about the importance of loyalty. I think Michael knows that she knows. It turns out that Mira Stamets was in league with Lorca and Michael, but Giorgio knows this. She kills Stamets, which is the first major change to history. So we have to ask, is she actually in the past, changing the timeline, or is all this one big illusion as the Q often like to play with? We won't really know until next week. Given how much ambition she's supposed to have, I'm surprised Killy hasn't tried to overthrow Giorgio. But she's smart. 
She probably figures that she can gain more power by siding with the Emperor against Lorca and Michael, cementing herself as the trusted captain. Giorgio offers to let Michael live, if she'll confess. This is why Michael tried to kill her in the first place, the weakness she has seen in her mother. Giorgio says don't confuse weakness with growth, and this is actually how we'd see this from a Prime Universe perspective. We don't see compassion as a weakness, we see it as a strength, a virtue, something to be applauded. Giorgio has learned that from us, but it's a lesson that won't serve her well in the Mirror Universe. She's not really sure what she's supposed to be accomplishing here, but she's been given a chance to go back and do things differently, and she's taking it. And now we get to understand Michael's adoption from her own perspective. She was master of that rubbish heap, but now she's forever in her mother's shadow. Lorca loves her for her, but of course he doesn't. She's just a tool to get a Giorgio. Now when goaded into executing Michael, Giorgio can't do it. She spares her daughter. As of this moment, their future is unwritten. I think Oo is unconvinced. She may be the next one to turn. I spent the whole second half of this episode waiting to see if Jason Isaacs would return as Lorca. I really expected to see him in the last few minutes, but that didn't happen. So what do you think? Will he turn up in part two? This is not what I was expecting from Discovery's first traditional two-parter. I really didn't think that we'd ever be going back to the Mirror Universe. But I enjoyed it. It was kind of cool to see it again, and to get to see some of the characters that we've heard about but never actually seen. I think in a lot of ways, this episode is setting up Giorgio to be ready to helm the Section 31 series, making her a better person so she can believably be the hero that we root for. A lot of people have been assuming she has to go back to the 23rd century because they assume that that's where the Section 31 show will be set. But I've never been convinced of that. I mean, the reason they brought Discovery into the future was show that the show didn't have to trample all over TOS canon. If they go back and do Section 31 in that time, it kind of defeats the purpose. I know Strange New Worlds will be set in that time, but its exploration focus will make it a lot more insular. It'll be less likely to stomp all over canon. I have mixed feelings about the Section 31 show. I love Giorgio and I love Section 31, but I'm not a fan of what Discovery did with the organisation in Season 2. So I suppose I should clarify and say that I love Section 31 as it was portrayed in Deep Space Nine. Can this show redeem what Discovery Season 2 did? Maybe. We'll see. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to next week. It should be fun to see how things are going to be resolved. Next week, of course, we'll be talking about Terra Firma Part 2. We're getting close to the end of the season. It'll all be finished in early January. I'm looking forward to the Christmas holidays. It's been a long year and I'm exhausted. I'm going to have three weeks off work, which will be nice, and should allow me some time to catch up with my writing. At present, this podcast is basically taking up all of my creative time and energy, and I really need to get Jewel of the Stars Book 3 out soon. Speaking of which, you can grab Book 1 for just 99 cents at books2read.com slash jewel. It's basically Star Trek, but on a cruise ship. Well, 
I'm tired and I can't think of anything else to say other than live long and prosper. Make it so.